Behind the Lens, where we go behind the lens and below the line with the movers and shakers, the film and TV makers, the writers, directors, producers, composers, actors, editors, film editors, sound editors, sound mixers, costume designers, production designers, authors, and so much more. I'm Debbie Elias, film critic, creator, and host of Behind the Lens, and this is the morning after, the night before, the train wreck that was the 93rd Academy Awards. But before we get into chit-chatting about the Academy Awards, uh, let's just, I do want to point out that the, rate, the official ratings are out, uh, and it had a 1.9 rating, which is an all-time low for the Academy Awards. It was only watched by 9.8 million people. That is appalling appalling okay but let me tell you some highlights some good stuff that's going to happen on btl today uh we've got joining us two up-and-coming director uh, directors first one thomas tj marine is going to be joining us shortly to talk about his new film he makes his directorial debut i believe uh with at night comes wolves we're going kind of dark with film themes today kind of fits after last night, uh, after that train wreck, uh, which, considering that the Oscars was held in Union Station, yes, there was no pun intended, but it, it works well. Uh, after TJ, we're going to have, we're going back east, people. We're back to the Jersey Shore. Uh, Tracy Luca, writer-director of Dark State, uh, that should should excite conspiracy conspiracy theorist uh we're looking at the fifth estate celebrity elite ceos overlords um you know just shadow realities very very interesting themes that that tracy tackles and it's all shot in hamilton new jersey so i can't wait to speak with her and with tj but right now those oscars all right, guys. Um, it's too bad we don't do this show as a call-in. I'd invite all of you to call in, except some co press colleagues of mine, that one of which said, borrowed from Apollo 13 and uh, the wonderful line that is was said by um, Ed Harris in character as NASA flight director Gene Krantz. I think this was our finest hour. Um Yes, a press, an entertainment reporter said that early this morning. They thought this was Oscar's finest hour last night. Um, obviously, they didn't see the same show I did. The highlight of the entire Oscar show, I'm going to be brutally honest, was the Swarovski television commercials. The Swarovski Crystal television commercials were the best thing of the whole night. Uh, followed by, and I'm sure everybody has already seen it, uh, what has been called an iconic moment, uh, Glenn Close doing the butt. 
Um, I know it'll break some of your hearts, but that entire sketch was totally scripted. But for um, her actually doing the dance, that was an afterthought apparently during the show with producers, you know, calling into the earwig in uh, Del Howry's ear. Um, hey, you think she'll dance? Because by that point, the show was lagging so terribly uh, and had so many missteps. They needed something, something to pump it up. And that really did. That was the one bit of energy and excitement all night long. Um, I, I, I don't, I see what the producers and Steven Soderbergh were thinking they did a beautiful job with the production design and turning Union Station into what looks like a very fancy supper club of days gone by. Beautiful, beautiful design within Union Station itself. And they were, you know, herding people in and out, kind of rotating them, which is why you didn't see any food and beverages on any of the tabletops that they were all sitting at. Uh, food and beverages were kept outside in the quote-unquote party area that we saw in the spotlight pre-show and then in the after dark oscars after dark uh, both of which were on abc uh, across the country but as it, it just i don't even know where to begin um, I guess I will begin with something that classic film fans I know are mortified about. Uh, most people, a lot of people, truly look forward to the in memoriam every year, be it with the Oscars, with the Emmys. Um, we like to, so many of us, we do like to remember those that came before, those that, that set the stage and in whose footsteps we now walk. Uh, and like to honor them and see who's being honored. And, hey, let's face it, it's also fun to be able to criticize when they forget obvious choices or make big missteps. Um, big missteps last night, number one. Yes, maybe you wanted to, you know, have an, a more upbeat homage to the passing of legends. Uh, but the song, the music was totally inappropriate. Uh the rapid fire pacing, the editing, who cut this thing? Um, you couldn't, didn't have enough time to read the names on the screen of the talent, let alone even see and identify who a lot of them were. Uh, traditionally, Oscars has saved the biggest legends, the biggest stars for who have passed for the end. Uh, of the of the homage of the in memoriam montage which for months everybody has been opining okay is it first they were thinking kirk douglas but he was honored last year um olivia de havilland had to be olivia de havilland or olivia de havilland or sean connery but olivia de havilland was the last the last connection with the golden age of Hollywood. And I also have to point out that so many of the benefits that actors have today in terms of contracts are because of litigation that Olivia de Havilland filed and won many, many, many decades ago. Um, 
But surprisingly, she was just shoved in with a brief little snippet, um, barely discernible, early in the passing, early in the memoriam. uh, And the Academy chose to close with Sean Connery, followed by Chadwick Boseman. I adored Chadwick. Um, Many of you know Chadwick and I sat down more than once for cocktails uh, in a couple hotels uh, on press days. And I will always have very fond memories of him. Do I think that he should have been the last? I think the more appropriate ending to an in-memoriam would have been Chadwick, Sean Connery, Olivia de Havilland, and you really close out the past with Olivia's passing. But uh, the fact that you couldn't even read the names or see the people was very disconcerting. As for the show itself and letting the winners go on and on, everybody, all winners, all nominees hope for that. They want to thank everybody. Um, But some of it just droned on. Um, No clips. In a year where very few people saw all the films, or even a small percentage of the films, show some clips. Please let people know what films, especially when you have Frances McDormand encouraging people to gather your friends, go into theaters, sit shoulder to shoulder in the dark, and see and experience on the big screen all of these films that were represented at the Academy Awards last night. Nobody has a clue with many of these films what they are, who these people are, the context um, of the nominations... Not even the best picture. Bring back Billy Crystal and let him do a best picture opening montage again, please. Uh, Very, very disturbed by that. I think it was a disservice to the viewers, and I think that's a big reason why the ratings were what they were. In terms of the awards themselves, biggest surprise of the night was Anthony Hopkins. It was a given throughout the industry that Chadwick Boseman would get Best Actor for Ma, for his performance in Ma Rainey. So huge surprise for Anthony Hopkins. But I have to say, um, he issued the mo- he's a, he's visiting his home in Wales. Uh, he's been posting these beautiful heartfelt videos uh, throughout his trip, including. Uh, going sites uh, I think his father's burial ground and just lovely touching memories of his life he's sharing with all of us um, after he won he didn't expect to win and it was nighttime in Wales uh, into the wee hours of the morning when the sun came up he put together a beautiful little thank you video and he paid homage to Chadwick Uh, which was a beautiful, beautiful touch. Having Rita Moreno present Best Picture, fabulous, fabulous, 
and did you catch that teaser trailer for West Side Story? I was dead set against that. I had great trepidation about Spielberg even making this film. Seeing this trailer, this teaser, I can't wait to see the film. It gave me goosebumps. It got me excited. And the fact that we hear Rita Moreno singing in the trailer, um, that's everything. That is everything. When you bring something legendary and beloved to life, you do it the right way. And something tells me Spielberg has done it the right way. So very excited. Very excited to see that. Of course, Nomadland walked away with Best Picture. Frances McDormand, Best Actress. That was a surprise to so many. Uh, Everybody thought Carrie Mulligan would get it. Um, No surprise with Minari. Yu Zhang Yoon. Uh, who has to be the, the most fun winner uh, anywhere. Um, she made the news with her acceptance speech uh, for the BAFTAs, uh, Globes, everywhere she goes. And last night was no different. And thank goodness that she got to meet Brad Pitt or Brad Pitt got to meet her. Also, no surprise, Soul, best animated feature. Congratulations, Pete Doctor. He has done it again. Uh, and Mank. Pulled out, oh, Eric Messerschmidt pulled out Best Cinematography for Mank, Black and White. It, for, me, for my money, when Martin Rue was, was out of the picture for Best Cinematography for his work on The Midnight Sky, it was Fadon Papa Michael for Trial of Chicago 7 or Eric Messerschmidt for Mank. I did not think the Academy would go with the black and white. Uh, so I am just tickled to death. And I know that there's going to there's gonna be some glasses hoisted in uh, the local watering hole uh, this afternoon with a lot of the guys that worked on Eric's team. Um, so I can't wait to see all of them and congratulate all of them. Uh, Ma Rainey picked up as no surprise for costume, makeup, and hair. Um, again, Chloe Zhao for Nomadland. Uh, a lot of people very, very confused by uh, the best doctor- documentary feature, My Octopus Teacher. If you haven't seen it, it is charming. All of the documentaries nominated were very, very worthy. Collective, Crip Camp, Mole Agent, Time. Um, That was a tough category this year, but I think very wisely chosen. But so that's just a little, a little of my thoughts and comments. But again, the winner of the night was Swarovski Crystal in their TV commercials. Um, So, and right now we have him on the line, Pam. Ah, we're going to welcome writer, director, TJ Marine. To behind the lens. Hi, TJ. How are you? Hi. I'm. I'm doing. I'm doing great. Is it Debbie? It is. It. Hi, Debbie. And you are going to talk about. We're going to chat about. At night comes wolves. What and that is that is correct. What an interesting film. Uh, as I opened the show today, I said, you know, we're going a little darker. A little dark in our themes okay. on on the show today. With at night comes wolves, and then after you, Tracy Lucas joining me on her film Dark State. 
Um, but after last wow. night's Academy Awards, I think, you know, some darker films are needed uh, to really appreciate Yeah, some darker things. films might, yeah, they might uh, fill in the, um, last night was a pretty uplifting night, I think. So, you know, yeah, sure, maybe a, a, a dark um, Monday morning's not so bad. So for you as a filmmaker, what do you think of Nomadland as best picture? I loved it. Well, I I called it out. They said, and the and the winner goes to, and I I told my girlfriend I'm I spit out real quickly. No Medland. So I <laughs> I got the guess right. Um, I didn't think that Anthony Hopkins was going to win that um, best actor. That but, was one of the biggest surprises. Uh, yeah, that that was it. Was it? It was a surprise, but um, at the same time, it's like it's Anthony Hopkins, you know, playing you know a man falling into. I mean that was such a unique take on Alzheimer's. Yes. Um, and uh, I don't, like I don't think it's ever been done by that. It was Mm-mm. kind of like almost like a pioneer take on the disease. Yeah, from um, his from so it's hard, his it's perspective. Hard to, uh, hard to uh, um, get upset about it, I guess. But uh, yeah, no, I was I'm happy with Nomadland um, winning though. But yeah, but no, I think everybody, I think everyone thought it was a foregone conclusion that Chadwick Boseman would get Best Actor. So I think there right. there was a collective gasp around the world. When Sir Anthony's name was called out as as best actor, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's an indelible and unforgettable performance. But yeah, so let's... yeah. you could hear that gasp. Oh, <laughs> I'll uh, tell you. <laughs> in the auditorium, you could hear them gasp inside the room. Um. Yeah, the mics actually did pick up that shock and surprise. So, yeah. well, but we're going to talk about your film which now, with its release, is a qualifier for next year's Academy Awards. Oh, I don't know if we'll get there. <laughs> but, you know, but, uh... but, you know that it, because it's releasing, you know, now, you are now in the next cycle for submitting your film for Academy consideration at the end of the year. Um, yeah. So... See, you never looked at it that way, did you? No, I hadn't. I hadn't thought of that at all. <laughs> I think directors normally get nominated for Oscars on their second movie, so I'm 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 still looking towards the future. But uh, yeah, no, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that yet. <laughs> so, talk to me about "At Night Comes Wolves." This is a very interesting film, TJ. Um, you're t- you're. You're tackling issues with cults, domestic violence, um, and then you you take this in with a very nonlinear approach. So I'm curious, where did the idea for this film arise? How did you come up with this one? Um, let's see. That's that's a question that I've been working on answering for myself for like <laughs> two years now. Um, and I'm still, I'm still thinking about it. Um, well, I'm definitely a huge fan of, uh, Tarantino. Um, mm-hmm. and I think that, uh, there was a lot of Pulp Fiction and, and Reservoir Dogs going through my head when I was, uh, writing the film. Um, and also Chris Nolan. So Memento, um, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but the idea for the film came from the fact that, uh, it's actually three short films that I had sort of just lying around. Um, and, uh, 
I had made each short film one after the other, trying to make them different from the previous one to show my my range as a director and as a storyteller. Mm-hmm. But one thing that ever since I came to Los Angeles, I always grappled with trying to figure out how was I going to get my first feature made. Um, and uh, so I had the idea one night. I was like, well, look, after I make this third short film, you know, this is like 2017. I was like, I'm going to have about 30 minutes, 35 minutes of um, footage that I've, that I've written, directed and produced. You know, if I, you know, if I, if I think I've got a, a, a nice career ahead of me, I should be able to come up with new storylines that kind of tie these three short films together. Uh, it was a film about a husband and wife in the apocalypse. It was a, I had a confined thriller about a, a cult that the cult leader gets overthrown by his right-hand man. And then I had a third film about a, a woman that gets manipulated by her husband. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, the, the idea for the feature film came out of, first of all, realizing I had an opportunity in front of me, um, but also just trying to figure out how do you, how, how do you get these three stories to bond together? How do you get them to meld? Um, and hopefully, you know, hopefully feel like one seamless narrative. You know, I know that the, the story can feel wild, but hopefully nobody watches the film and is like, this was just a bunch of random footage. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, to answer your question, that's, that's really where the idea of the movie came from. Yeah, it doesn't feel like random footage. You definitely, there is connective tissue. Um, you can see three separate, three separate stories happening, but mm-hmm. they're, they are connected. Uh, and you do a great job connecting them through the char- through the characters of, uh, Daniel, uh, Daniel slash Walter, um, and of, co- and of course, um, Leah and, uh, David. That's your connect. Mm-hmm. That's your big connective tissue. And in your third act, and we're not going to reveal, but in the third act, where we see blood, blood harkens. <laughs> we'll say that much. There's blood or something, uh, and it definitely ties in with your other with your other segment uh, mm-hmm. with Paris and her husband in a house. That they're looking for her parents. Uh, it's at, it's post-apocalyptic. You cannot find. They're not there. But there is blood on the door handle and on the door jams. So mm-hmm. you have that connection going on, and you do chapterize it so that you give us you know after the incident, before the incident. So you give us some kind of temporal reference. Mm-hmm. So it does not feel like you just took three films and just scotch taped them together. You good, <laughs> good. That was the that was the hard part was you, figuring out how to do that. You do have a connection. You do have connective tissue there. Um, you know, how did you even approach this from a visual standpoint? Um, especially since you're also co-editing this. So I'm curious how that came into play. Um, with putting this together. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry, so what, what's the question? Well, I'm curious how you visually constructed this. You had your three shorts, but how did you approach mm-hmm. each visually? And then because you were co-editing, um, obviously you had each short that you had edited 
as a standalone, but then you had to put thing, you had to take things apart and put them back together. Yeah. So um, I'm, I'm curious how you approach that. Uh, well, let's see. Um, well, there was, you know, I guess it all starts with the writing element of the movie, um, which, you know, to take these three short films that very purposefully I was making to be different from each other um, and then and then figuring out a way to, to make it into one, you know, one story, one narrative. Um, that's, uh, you know, there was a visual element to that. I think the film's a much better example of me as a director than as a writer. Because as a writer, with the way the movie came about, I, I never had a blank canvas. Um, my next movie, I'll have a blank canvas, and it'll be a real story that, that I've truly, you know, come out with, you know, just from the um, compulsion to tell a certain story in my head. Um, but I guess visually, this movie, I mean, there's moments where I'm writing as a director where... You, you you know I know exactly how I'm going to shoot it and I know exactly how it's going to be edited mm-hmm. as I'm writing it um, and so you really you kind of lean on those moments um, and then you know following that momentum using using that sort of inspiration to be sort of your your guiding light to you know making sure that as you're producing the film you're going to have all of the elements there that you need in order to accomplish that that moment of you know real inspiration that you had while you're sitting down in a dark room writing the moment. Um, and I mean, working with my cinematographer, Cooper Shine, who's a really talented guy, um, he, he really, he, I think he was really uh, comfortable knowing that I'm the kind of director that makes all the shots, but I want him to suggest things, you know, uh, as, as he kind of sees them. Um, so, I mean, that was, you know, in terms of accomplishing the visual, that's, that's kind of what the process was, was creating an atmosphere where it could happen. Um, and I could, you know, we could, we could, I could tell him where I wanted the camera and then we could get a look at the shot and I could tell him whether we wanted to switch lenses or move the camera, um, mm-hmm. to accomplish all that visually. And then, you know, once the production was done shooting at least, um, and, uh, you get into the editing room, um, that was the part that, you know, the, the script was written in a way where the there's two short films that are just dropped into the storyline, like their own sequence. And then one of the short films is chopped up and it, and it cuts back and forth throughout the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the editing process was sort of like, okay, so these two short films, we know have to go right here, but what's the best part to cut back to that one short film that is sort of going to be segmented. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a, that was a big experiment. Um, the uh, I I would say I am technically you know I, I, there is another editor credited on the movie. Um, I probably did ninety five percent of mm-hmm. the editing. No offense, no, no offense to that, to that person, but so um, that was uh you know that was me um, trying a lot of different things. And you know when it comes right down to it, just just make a decision and just tell yourself, look, if the story moves. That's kind of the most important part. So just keep going. Um, try not to linger. Uh, so, you know, a lot of that that short film that's kind of chopped up. Um, I think it's like total. It's like eleven or thirteen minutes mm-hmm. in the in the finished film. But the the short film by itself, I think, was like twenty minutes. Um, so you know, you 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 trim down. You know, you, you get really close to like you know a frame by frame look at it and just trying to figure out the best way to 
capture the moment and capture the atmosphere and, and um, you know, uh, just try to try to keep things intriguing um, and visually intriguing and just, you know, doing what you can to, to stay true to that original moment that you had way back whenever you were writing, um, you know, at that point, like a year earlier. So, Well, yeah, I'm curious about the music. Did you have music for each one of your shorts or did you do did you have Keaton Landis do new music for the piece once it was a whole? Because music is a wonderful connect wonderful tool to use for as a connective tissue. Mhm. Yeah. Um no, Keaton Keaton's a, a friend of mine from film school and he he only worked on the feature. So the shorts Okay. Um the shorts did have temp music in them um and uh, i would say probably half of the sound effects that i had in the short films stayed in those moments all the way through Mm -hmm. to you know what you see now looking at the 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 larger feature sure um but keaton came into it after the you know after the feature was edited and uh, you know i had temp music in there that obviously i couldn't use anymore because uh once you know i brought i brought keaton into the picture um once the distributor showed interest, which I, I made the movie really as an experiment. I never intended to get distribution. I thought it was <laughs> going to be something that sat on the shelf and I, I, I would be able to show to producers and managers and, you know, kind of point out little moments in the movie where I'd say right there, you know, that's, that's the future of my career. If you can mm-hmm. believe in that, we can work together. Um, and, uh, but then, it, you know, then, then it turned out to have some commercial value and distributors came around and I was like, Oh man, I got to get real music. So Keaton's a Keaton's a talented guy, and I had a uh, um, some recommendations from other other friends, um, and so he came on and he did. You know, he's a he's a musician and is a, he's a filmmaker, but he's also a musician in his own right. Um, so I kind of told him, you know, look, here's the here's the pieces of temp music, and I, you know, you can see which moments of the movie I have them dropped into. Mm-hmm. Um, but there might be more moments that need music. So for you as a composer, you know, you, you run wild on that and tell me, tell me where, you know, where you should fill in the gaps. But I really wanted, all of the music was very atmospheric. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the soundtrack for Annihilation, um, Alex Garland film from, from yeah. 2017, I told him to try to reference that music because I love that movie. Um, and I love the, the score. The score has grown on me over time. It's such a, it's such a haunting score. Um, and it's so perfect for that movie. Um, I sent him examples from from that score, and so Keaton, you know, he he looked at, you know, I had some classical music in there. Um, I had some some Mozart in there. I had some some random, just sort of, uh, yeah, some earthly tones in there. And so he kind of just, uh, you know, he did his thing. He tried to stay true to uh, what I was asking of him while putting him putting his own his own take on it. And uh, I think the uh, the results are are pretty good. I think it, it definitely helps the film a lot. Yeah, I really, I like how the music is used as connective tissue through the film. Mm-hmm. Um, there is great, uh, there's synergy as it goes through. Your your music does not feel cut and paste at all. Mm-hmm. And that adds so much to the film and, and the fact that it's ambient as opposed to being individually thematic for each person or for each situation works to your advantage with this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think, uh, 
I think whenever, um, you know, it, there's, a, I guess, a couple of sort of like proverbial pieces of wisdom about about uh, uh, music and movies. And, you know, I'm, I'm no authority on it, but I guess the one that pretty much everyone can agree on is that the music is there to expound on whatever feeling the director has put into the has put into that moment. Um, and and I think that what I really wanted the music to do was. You know, I, I'm a I'm a person that's pretty passionate about psychology and kind of taking a cerebral approach to sort of, mm-hmm. uh, for better or worse, manipulating an audience's expectations. Um, so every time we were going to jump jump time, and every time you know we were going to go to a new uh, point point in the narrative chronologically, um, that's a point where I knew that we need to cue. We, we almost all those moments I think are queued up with music, mm-hmm. so that the audience can understand even subconsciously. Something's about to happen. There's something's about to change. And I think by the time you get halfway through the movie, um, you kind of you're kind of trained at that point to know that something with the time is probably about to happen because the music's playing. Um, so that was kind of the the approach. Um, yeah, to definitely help blend the uh, uh, the the kind of uh, I guess wild um, story story shift that happens. <laughs> so now, where can everybody see at night comes wolves? At, at Night Comes Wolves is available on all VOD platforms. So iTunes, Amazon, Voodoo, Google Play, uh, Apple TV. Um, it's available on DVD um, if you're so, uh, if you're so um, uh, encouraged to buy one. It's available um, pretty much anywhere that you, that you want to watch a movie, uh, VOD, you can go find it. Now, did you get any kind of theat? Did Gravitas get you any kind of theatrical with this one? Because I know theatrical in this in this particular time is so tough, and as as movie theaters are slowly opening up again, they're going with you know more identifiable older titles and a couple new ones mm-hmm. to try and get butts in the seats. Um, yeah. So I'm curious, did you get a theatrical run at all with this one? There is no theatrical run. The the uh, I think whenever uh, you know the deal came about, uh, Gravitas for, and I first started talking in November of last year, twenty twenty. Oh well, uh, that did well. You're not getting a theatrical run if you're talking in November twenty twenty. <laughs> yeah, no, and, that, and that's exactly my point. I think whenever it's November twenty twenty, and you're talking about like a like a really small, like kind of like you know unique, but albeit uh, low budget. Uh, horror movie i think that distributors want to stay as far away from that as possible so may you know the the rights are still available um i'd love to see it happen but but as for right now um yeah it's uh right now it's vod only well as theaters start opening up and there are a lot of small theaters across the country as they start reopening they might want to get some more films in there to fill up those theaters so you never know yeah yeah well if you have any recommendations Feel free to send them over. I'll reach out to them because because uh, I own I own a theatrical right. So if anybody wants to show my movie in a theater, uh, it's going to be like, well, here you go, and I'll just get you know I'll let them do it. So, well, the word is now out there, so yeah. that's a good thing to know. Oh, TJ, I can't thank you enough for calling in this morning. It's been so lovely having you. I I want to talk. Oh no, thank. You. I owe you a thank you. I want to talk more to you about your next film when you get that going. Yeah, well, you know that's uh that's in the works. I'm I'm working on it. Whether it's 
something that I'm writing right now, whether it's something that's still just uh, the seed of an idea that I'm letting grow a little while. That one's uh, that one's moving. So yeah, whenever it, whenever it starts to happen, I'd love to uh, I'd love to chat again. Oh That'd my god, I can't wait! I can't wait! I can't wait to see your growth as a filmmaker. Um, so oh yeah, no, I'm uh, um, <laughs> I'm excited for it too. I appreciate that. Oh TJ, thank you so so much, and I look forward to the next time. Thank you, Debbie. This was great. Bye bye. Bye. And that was TJ Marine, and you can find, as he said, on all digital VOD platforms at Night Comes Wolves. Now we're heading to one of my favorite places in the United States. We're heading back east to New Jersey. <laughs> With Tracy Hi. Luca and Dark State. Hi, Tracy. How are you? How are you, Debbie? Thanks for having me today. I am so thrilled to have you. It seems the past couple months, all of these Philly, Jersey filmmakers and all these films shot back there, they're finding their way to me. As my aunt keeps telling me, they're sending you messages. It's time to move back <laughs> to the shore. It's time to go back to the shore. Um, so I can't tell you how much it excited me watching this film and then i'm seeing that sandy dirt the sandy soil around that lake and with mm. that foliage and you don't see that anywhere but down there in the pine barrens area down in south jersey well that's what that's where hamilton is it's yep. deep in the pine lands it and sure that, is uh, that lake yes i i know where hamilton is um our <laughs> my grandparents house uh is in forked river just oh. just north yeah just north oh, okay yep so it's only about 45 minutes away from hamilton oh and, wow and you've got to go towards hamilton to go to atlantic city from forked river so right we're yep. in the center of yep. the of south jersey yep so yeah it always excites me <laughs> <laughs> well, That's great. Yes, I'm. I get excited by seeing a certain kind of sand on film. What can I say? Uh, <laughs> but something else that excites me. This is a fascinating film. You are tackling. Thank you. Some great thematic elements in Dark State. Um, Thank wh you. Where and it's very timely and topical. Um, even coming yeah. out of the Trump administration, it is still mm -hmm. very timely and topical. Um, you know, Snowden is never far from our minds, as are others. So tell, tell the listeners what Dark State is about and what led you to incorporate this very interesting amalgamation uh, because that's really what fascinated me the most about this structure you have. Hmm. Uh, thank you for that introduction. Um, Dark State is about really small, a small town girl, Katie Morrow, who made it big in Hollywood. And she gets in a car crash in her hometown of Hamilton, New Jersey, and everyone in the car dies, except for Katie. She's in critical condition and is uh, a good way through the film. Mm -hmm. And it's about figuring out 
who was in that car with her, why they were with her, and what it means for the small picture and for the big picture. And it, it's, 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 it's an intellectual film. It's, it's not mm-hmm. a lot of car crashes and, and um, beautiful uh, scenery, so to speak. It's, it's, it's wordy. People are having deep conversations. These are deep issues that are discussed. And I, I wrote it. And you never know when you write something if it's going to be a film. Um, I also wrote a novel before, and I thought, well, it could be that. It, it could be a screenplay mm-hmm. uh, that someone else makes. But I just felt compelled to make it. And I think it's because of, of the elements that you stated earlier. It's timely. And coming out of what this nation came out of a little while ago, I think these are issues that need to be heard and discussed. Mm-hmm. So. Because, and you know, every day in the news, issues, the elements that you have included here are popping up every day in the news. They haven't gone away. Mm. They're popping up yeah. every day. And what I love is you create these really interesting characters who are in this car, who are in this accident. And these are people that, if for, I'm, I'm listening to the descriptions as we find out who these mystery people are who were in the car. Um, mm-hmm. These are people that would never be in the same room together unless there's some, something deeply connecting them. And this is where your story takes off with a, a reporter, an investigative reporter <laughs> who's trying to, to find her sea legs and her courage again. Um, so yeah, so let's go from Philly to Hamilton, New Jersey. I don't get it. I'd go from Philly to Barnet to Forked River, but okay. <laughs> We're strange. <laughs> um, but I like the way that you attack it and you break everything out through your character of Alicia, our intrepid reporter. Um, it's a logical structure. Um, to have it done this way. But then something you also do is you throw in some ambiguity within the newspaper world. It's the newspaper itself in Hamilton in terms of the editor, Rusty, and, Mm -hmm. of course, Little Miss Nosy Buddy who wants to know what everybody's doing and she wants the job and doesn't want to cover the story on a blanket. Um, So (laughs) there's always one of those. (laughs) But I like how that, it's like, how on board is Rusty? And you start second-guessing people by the time you're midway through the second act. At that point, no, you're, you're sitting there thinking, nobody is who they seem to be. And there's a hidden agenda everywhere. And that, I, it's very fascinating to me that that comes out. In this film, I, well, I think you're right, and I think that's what I wanted to show that we are just as susceptible uh, to be corrupted as the people at the highest levels, mm-hmm. and quite possibly there's no difference uh, between what we're doing on an everyday basis and what they're doing on an everyday basis. 
And I, I did want to show that. I wanted to show that at the. Show that at the at the the base level and at the deepest level of of who we are, and that's why I went to my ho- my hometown of Hamilton, New Jersey, to shoot this. I wanted to show how the everyday person uh, relates to could relate rather to a story like this coming to town, mm-hmm. and what they would do about it. And there are some people that would hold their integrity no matter what. And there are some people among us that, that would get quite swept away. Mm-hmm. And I feel that we're seeing that right now. Yeah, very much so. So, yes. Uh, so I, I, I think it is, again, I'll go back to that word you use, timely. Well, and something that you also do from a, vis- from a visual standpoint, your visual construction where Hamilton also plays so beautifully as your backdrop because of the very uh, physical nature, the landscape with the foliage, the deep trees uh, off the beaten Mm. path, uh, and everything feels cloaked. And, of course, one of the key pieces in this story is a house um, that is owned by one of one of these, you know, upper echelon families, moneyed, storied families, and it's cloaked, hidden, and that's exactly what dark state, the dark state is. It's cloaked. It's hidden. So you have this mm. wonderful visual metaphor happening here, Tracy. Um, I don't know if you thought of that when you when you shot it, but uh, that jumped out at me right away and I just hmm. thought this is so smart. So take if you didn't think of it, take credit for it. You were smart. Wow. Uh-uh. Wow. There there's so many elements. I love you obviously you're you're a film fan. I can just I get excited just listening to you uh go through the film. And I feel like I'm learning things and that's the best thing about being a filmmaker so far, I think, is is hearing other people's perceptions and interpretations of what's up there on the screen. Um, so thank you for that. I think that's that's really interesting for me to hear. And of course, we get in our third act and we have a complete visual tonal shift with mm-hmm. on the beach, the sun is shining, blue skies. A white-on-white house sitting on white sand, which we all know is not really white in New Jersey, but it is kind of beigey colored. Um, Mm -hmm. But when the sun shines down and you catch it at the right angle, uh, it definitely (laughs) will look white. So you go from this cloak of darkness, and at this point, we know what's happening. You know, oh, yeah. we know what's happening. And it's like, all right, it has now come out into the light. But in the background, Mother Nature served you well. Because when you look into the background, you see some darker clouds that are out over the marina area. So it's still kind of uh, that metaphor of it's still haunting. It's looming. It's mm-hmm. still there. Uh, And it's those little touches that add so much to a film, and it really adds a lot to Dark State. Thank you. I I think 
there's uh, there's a lot that you can direct, but you can't direct the clouds. And we re- we were very lucky with we shot this in 13 days. Oh my god! In the Pinelands, and that was one day uh, at at uh, my friend's house in in Longport, actually. Um, and we we were blessed with the weather and with the sky. We have we have another scene where. We have a drone flying over Hamilton. It's as if the dark mm-hmm. state comes to town. Now, now this hidden hand is, is looking over this small town and saying, okay, well, why are these people disrupting us? And that sky was not touched up in any way. Wow. That was 100% what we had. Because I remember the editor saying, we went over the film at, at the end of each day, I remember him saying, look at the sky. Look at the sky. And it was just, it was unreal. Uh, we, we really did have a couple of those, those sky, we, we caught some skies that were very, uh, I would say, uh, important to the storyline. Absolutely. Mother Nature and the movie gods came together for you. Uh, <laughs> no doubt about it. You know, I'm curious about your casting here. It was really interesting mm. to see Constantine, uh, Constantine Marulis show up. Uh, most people uh, remember him from American Idol. Um, I personally wasn't a fan of American Idol, but I loved him in Rock of Ages. Um, mm-hmm. So to have him playing this character of Adorno, um, you're you're constantly reminding us the subtext of, you know, making the deal with the devil. He is perfect in this role. He is yeah. perfect in this role. And you counter that with somebody like Kay O'Rourke as Alicia, who, you know, she's our intrepid reporter and she's going to get the story and nothing's going to deter her. And it's it's like good versus evil is playing out before our eyes through your characters. Um, mm-hmm. How difficult was the casting to find? Because you need specific types of people who can pull off the dark state elements of this story? Casting is always a challenge, especially for uh, an independent filmmaker. Mm-hmm. You don't normally have access to the archetypes, so to speak, is what I like to call them. Uh, you, when you get to a certain level, you can say, oh, I want a Al Pacino, and he's an archetype. And mm-hmm. we know that the type of character that he plays and, and he embodies that. And all of a sudden, the directing becomes uh, a lot easier, let's face it, because you have someone that so embodies a, a, a character in the minds of so many people that are watching that film, right? But then when you have, I think, an independent film, you do have challenges that you're surrounded by a lot of character actors, so to speak. In other words, actors that can do anything. Yeah. And they have to in order to survive in this indie situation. I was lucky enough to get great actors. Um, a lot of my actors, such as Kim Carson, uh, Kay O'Rourke, even Constantine, um, and Nicholas Brody, they all have uh, the strong theater backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kay O'Rourke, for example, she has uh, advanced degrees from both Temple and Villanova University in Philadelphia. I'm sure you're familiar with that. They're both in theater. She teaches I, as I'm, well. I'm a Temple. She's been acting for years. I'm a Temple alum. Are you? Temple's I'm an owl. School. I'm an owl. Love it. <laughs> oh wow! 
That's great. See, I, and uh, I think all roads are leading you back here. See? <laughs> I, I really do. Um, we have Kim Carson, who has been on just about every stage in Philadelphia. She's a graduate of DeSalle University. Mm-hmm. And she. we also, of course, have uh, Nicholas Broody, who did um, Fossey Verdon, I believe, was the yes. series that was, was very popular and He's an excellent, excellent actor, also with a strong theater background. And Constantine did Rock of Ages. And yeah. he's, he's also used to, used to live television, of course, American Idol and so on and so forth. But I do want to say this about Constantine. When he walked into the room, because I, was a, I had him in mind and, and we worked mostly over the computer. Um, when he walked into the room and I met him for the first time and we went over the scene, he was just such an everyday great guy Mm -hmm. but something happened when he when i looked at him from behind the camera his eyes the intensity he really is he has that it factor i have to say his eyes you know it when you see it when you look through the camera yeah those eyes and the way and this is i mean just kudos to Mm. your dp to stephen michael um Mm -hmm. he knew you the two of you knew keep that camera on his face and even when he lowers his chin a little his eyes he he raises the eyes as he lowers the chin and it it's like you're staring you're staring into the darkness of the devil and oh he's mesmerizing and and, i thought the same thing and you cannot look away you cannot turn away and that is what sells this character he embodies his character of Adorno and gives him such life that it, it, there are moments it's scary when you just watch him. So, I agree. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you, he did an amazing job. Kudos to you. Applause to you for casting him. Well, thank you. I, <laughs> but I, I, he has something on, on screen. And I saw it. I saw it with my own eyes, and we were in one space at one point, going over the script. And when I stepped behind that camera, you, I, I just felt like I was looking at a different person in a way. He just comes alive on screen. His eyes—it just—he really does. He has that it factor. I'll say it again. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious because color. I notice color is very important in defining characters and and events here. Um, when we first see Katie, Katie is, she's all in white, white and silver, Mm -hmm. uh, is how we meet her, you know, very pure, very light. Other people are in darker colors. Uh, we've got some that are in, you know, tinged with red. Then we have a lot more reds, reds, evil, hate, black and red. Uh, you've got Alicia who pretty much stays in neutral browns to like fade into, the sand and the trees of a fall New Jersey um, and, and be unobtrusive. So I'm curious about coming up with your color palette and your color identifiers for this film because there is clearly, you put a lot of thought into this aspect. We did. There was a lot done in pre-production this was not a film that was thrown together in 13 days this was something that was meticulously gone through we had storyboards they the the colors came out on the storyboards 
Um, it was something that we paid close attention to. Everyone that was on the dark side, so to speak, always had something red on them at all times. I uh, don't want to give that away, but that it, it's a fact, and it's something that I think that it might even be more interesting before you see the film. So um, Katie does. She, Katie's in white. She's pure. She's in white. And although she was moving in a certain direction, she keeps her integrity throughout. Mm-hmm. Um, we do have Alicia in neutral because Alicia makes decisions that aren't based in right or wrong. Right. Alicia makes decisions on what's good for Alicia. Mm-hmm. So that's the way that went. And, and of course, you know, you put Rusty in his in his sweater moment um, <laughs> with his zigzag sweater pattern. Rusty can go either way here. Rusty, Rusty is a, really a wild card because you're never quite sure what side of the fence he's on. You know, is he giving... First, he's so reluctant to a story on Katie and these people that were in a car with her. Then it's he's all gun-ho. Then, okay, he's got some hesitation and trepidation. It's really, in, Rusty is, he really is a wild card from an emotional standpoint in this film. Because you're never quite sure what side of the fence he's on. Well, I th- and I think that's because of Alicia. I yeah. think Ali- Alicia has him wrapped around her finger. I think emotionally he is following her lead. Something that he knows he shouldn't do, but he does. And that's. That's Rusty. Also, Rusty is a small-town editor of a local newspaper. Mm-hmm. And the, the stories are, uh, and I went out of my way to mention some of the stories that, we might, that, that might take place um, <laughs> in the Hamilton uh, Herald. We have our own newspaper in Hamilton. And some of the stories are, uh, not that they're not serious, but they're certainly not about world domination. And I think that's, that Rusty is used to a certain type of story. Mm-hmm. And when this story begins to unfold, I think he has a difficult time with believing it mm-hmm. for himself. And I, I, I love Rusty's character because Rusty's all of us. Rusty looks at the facts and yet can't believe his own eyes. Yeah. Um, and I, I will admit that as I'm watching the film and I'm watching Elise, Alicia and I'm watching Rusty and I'm watching them interact. And there are moments I'm at the at screaming at the screaming at the screen. Stupid man. Stupid man. Open your yeah. eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, what was the most challenging aspect of telling this story? Because your through line is cohesive. You're not mm-hmm. jockeying back and forth. Um, you're building. You're constantly building and revealing more pieces of the puzzle. So you have your through line. Then you have all your little branches coming off. But they all come together and make the trunk even stronger by the time we get to the end of the film. So I'm curious what the most challenging aspect of bringing Dark State to life was for you as a director. As a director... Um, okay, well, as a writer, it was challenging in, in its own way mm-hmm. because it, I, you need to stay as neutral as possible, which I hope I did. And 
then as a director, you need to stay as neutral as possible and try to just let the characters drive the narrative, so to speak, and, and let them use the words, what's on the page, to create the world that we did on the page, that I did on the page. And on, obviously, uh, like I said before, we did a lot in pre-production, um, trying, to, t- trying to piece this world together. So I guess, I guess the most difficult thing was, was getting it all done in 13 days. We did have some weather challenges. But all in all, I have to say, Debbie, I feel that the town, my friends, we all came together to make this thing happen. We really did. I, I had wow. help crawl out of the woodwork to help me get this get this film done in 13 days. So I, I have nothing negative to say on, on that part. Um, but trying to do this in a meticulous way, get the footage that we need, regardless of the weather. We did need to cancel one day due to weather because everything was, was to be done on the Hamilton Lake, and, and we couldn't do it with this pouring, driving rain. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a scene with Greg, Katie's dad, and Alicia. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did have, we, we had that one day. And then so many uh, changes, schedule changes come from there, you know. So uh, I would say minor. We had minor issues wow. trying to get this, get on camera what we got on camera. I think we had minor issues uh, when you put everything into perspective. I, I, I really think that, that it was an easy shoot in that aspect. Yeah, I'm, I'm really curious, Tracy, because you have your own uh, film production company. You tell stories, mm-hmm. you make films, you've, you've authored a book. What stories, what stories appeal to you that you want to tell? It, that's interesting. I, I, I don't know. I, they come to me. I don't go to them. I will find an interesting subject, and for whatever reason, it won't leave my mind, and it'll start to build, and then I'll say to myself that I feel compelled to start writing this down, uh, whether it becomes a novel, like I said before, or, or a screenplay that I would want to pitch to someone else to do, or something that I'll do myself, mm-hmm. I guess that's, that's to be seen, but um, I guess the stories, those, those subjects or those interests, what I'm in, what I read about, what I'm interested about, come to me, really, mm-hmm. and and I'll, I'll I'll go from there, I guess. Somehow you hear a lot of that with writers, right? Uh, I guess this uh, well, is something so- that happens. <laughs> Somehow I don't envision you jumping into a rom com, though. A what? A rom com, a romantic comedy. Oh no, I don't think so. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> When you're starting out with films like Dark State, um, I, I just, I'm not getting that sense. That vibe just isn't coming across that that, that would be a film that you that you would be considering. <laughs> no, because I just feel that through my films and through my writing, I figure things out. So it would have to be some compelling issue for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, are you working on anything else now? Or are you just working on getting this out? Oh, can you tell me anything about it? Not much. Uh, I, but it is, again, about that uh, age-old battle of good and evil. Um, this one will be set in the, in the city of Philadelphia. I will say that much. It won't be inhabited. Yay! So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that, actually. 
Yay. And I just wanted to also say that uh, I most likely um, it will be working with a lot of the same people that I worked with last time, which to me would be a privilege because I had a great cast from Philadelphia and I had an amazing producer. She's from Delaware, but her company, Realize Studios, is really amazing and, and was she's an amazing producer. So oh, well, I, met great, I met great people. You know, you're going to have to let me know when you're shooting it, when you're shooting in Philly. Um, because okay. I know I'll, uh, once, uh, now that travel restrictions are lifting, I'll be jumping back there because my family is all still there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Everybody, everybody is still there. Of course. Okay. The brother I talked to is there. The others are there, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh. Yeah, so no, I used I used to fly back and forth to Philly all the time, but COVID kind of put a damper on on that, um, and so I'm I still have great ties to the city and to the suburbs and to and to Jersey, so it always excites me. I will me. absolutely let you know when we start. I think probably start production sometime in the late fall. And it's so beautiful there then, with the leaves changing colors and everything. It is. Oh, it is. Oh, so now where can everybody see Dark State right now? Well, you can pre-order uh, on iTunes, but I think the best thing to do is wait till May 4th, and you'll be able to see uh, Dark State on a plethora of platforms. Um, and we're going to be posting all that very shortly, the exact platforms. But they'll be, it'll be on Amazon, Google. Um, we have, we have a lot of platforms that will be, that will be on May 4th. So it goes on uh, video on demand. So, right. And then it, it begins to stream, uh, August 4th, but you'll be able to see it. The majority of the, uh, platforms will be ready to go by May 4th. So we had our theatrical release in March and it, right. was, it was quite a success. We sold out two nights in a row in New York city. So wow, I think it, I think it has its audience and I think it'll find its audience. Uh, once it goes to video as well. Oh, I think absolutely. Absolutely it will. Um, I wholeheartedly agree with that. So now where can people get updates online? Is the website up and working for the film? Oh, absolutely. You can get, you could get up. Yes. You could get updates right now. If you go to lucafilms.com. Okay. And, and everything about uh, Dark State is up there, and I, the links will be added as, as they go live. And everything will be live on May 4th. How exciting. So, oh. I'm very excited. Oh. It's a long road. Oh, my so God. We made it a bit longer. Uh, but I think it'll all pay off in the end. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, well, unfortunately, Tracy, we are all out of time today. Of course, I ran the show over. My sound engineer is sitting in the booth laughing at me because I always do. <laughs> I don't pay attention to time. Uh, so, <laughs> this has been so much well, fun chatting with you, Tracy. I hope you'll come back on the show again. Absolutely, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate uh, you, you know, giving Dark State such a uh, great review. You really, you know, you really went in depth with everything, the characters, so on and so forth. And I really appreciate that. Thank you. And, you know, cast Constantine again and just keep the camera on his eyes 
and you and I will both be happy. <laughs> I think that, that, that that's, exactly. a, that's a safe bet. Oh, Tracy, thank you. Thank you so much. And I'll talk to you again soon. Thank you, Debbie. Thanks. Have a good day. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye-bye. And that was Tracy Luca, writer, director of Dark State. You heard it, May 4th, May 4th on VOD, August 4th. It'll be streaming. So that is all the time we have again today. Uh, I'm still going to go lick my wounds about the Oscars last night and the fact that Best Actor and Best Actress were given after Best Picture. Um another bonehead move i'm gonna call it like i see it i was bonehead <laughs> i understand what they were probably hoping for is that chadwick would win best actor and would be a very emotional ending um with his wife accepting on his behalf as she has done previously at other award shows but uh such was not to be but until next year's Academy Awards, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Um, the, the one good thing I will say, thank you, thank you, thank you for no Zoom. No Zoom on the Academy Awards last night. That is the biggest plus of that award show, is that the producers were adamant there would be no Zooming. No Zooming of acceptance speeches. No Zooming of, pre of presentation chats. No Zoom. That was a blessing let me tell you all right i'm off my soapbox for this week until next week i'm debbie elias this is behind the lens <laughs>